All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you. Uh, we thank you uh, for these beautiful gifts uh, that we get to um, experience here as an act of worship, Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you that um, you can make us smile through music and through these other wonderful people that you've created and their gifts. And Lord, as we dig into this walking in community, uh, Lord, I pray that you would um, give us a, a fondness for your presence. Give us a fondness for your word and your story and all the many different ways that we can be reminded that you are with us um, through every trial and every joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. So I thought I'd start this morning by just giving you a little update on our lives. It is summer, so I don't get to talk to people as much uh, maybe in the summer because there's not as much going on here in the church building. And um, we had a wonderful VBS. Uh, my family and I, we took a vacation to Kentucky and uh, it rained the whole time, so it wasn't the best vacation, but it was still good to catch up with people that we know out there. Uh, had a really good 4th of July uh, with fireworks. So fireworks are legal in the state of Iowa, and not just for the professionals, right? So the coolest thing about fireworks down in Norwalk is where we watched them, where Allison grew up, is uh, we were kind of up on a hill uh, at the baseball diamonds there, and there was this panoramic view of fireworks going off in the city of Norwalk for about an hour leading up to the main event. Uh, there were no less than two dozen different homes that we could see shooting off fireworks. And some of them were, were pretty excessive, let's just put it that way. Uh, but, but it was kind of neat. I had never experienced you know, two solid hours of fireworks before from a bunch of different locations. It was kind of cool. Um, and now, uh, you know, as we're kind of getting back into the grind, it's, it's almost fall. So we've spent a lot of time working on getting uh, Epic Story City rolling and um, catching up with people that can't come to churches often. And um, it's been good. It's been good. It's still very much summer, but it almost feels like fall already, uh, at least in the work that I'm doing here. So, um, so yeah, our, our current series that we're talking about is called Walking in Community. We're looking at different aspects of the Exodus story. Uh, the Israelites were freed from slavery. Uh, Pastor Kurt talked about freedom last week and what we do with the freedom that we have and what they did with their freedom. And uh, one of the biggest takeaways, I think, of this is that we don't do this Christian faith thing alone, do we? We do it together. Um, if we are part of the body of Christ, we realize that everybody has many different parts. Uh, we see that in Paul's epistles. And our faith is, is personal. Yes, there's a personal aspect to our faith, but it should never be disconnected from our faith as a whole. There's this familial thing of being part of the family of God. And that's how God's people is talked about in the Exodus. It's God's people, the people of God. It's not God's person. Um, it's not, you are God's person, you are God's person, it's we are God's people. And that continues through Jesus' ministry, it continues in the New Testament church, and it continues for us today. We get to be part of that same reality. Those living out in the Exodus, uh, those Israelites and everybody else with them that were freed out of Egypt, uh, they really had to realize that they were in it together, right? They had to grow together, they had to face these trials and obstacles together. But they were plagued by impatience, weren't they? Uh, every, every time something good happened, the next day they said, it was better in slavery, send us back. Or um, they, they doubted God's power, even though they got to see God's power displayed in so many miraculous ways, which is what we're talking a little bit more about today. So in the story of Exodus, 
this is maybe not an exhaustive list, but this is just an example of some of the ways that God's power broke through in a very tangible way to remind the people of Israel, Israel that he was with them. These were miraculous things. So in Exodus 13 and 14, we see the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. The, the pillar of cloud led them and gave them direction by day, and then the fire led them and gave them direction by night. And when they came up to the Red Sea, the pillar of fire gave them light so that they could prepare to cross the Red Sea, while the pillar of cloud actually shielded them from the approaching armies of Pharaoh. And then in Exodus 14, we see this miraculous strong wind that blows all night so that they can cross the sea on dry land. Uh, in Exodus 14, uh, Pharaoh's chariots were made to swerve, it says. And that doesn't mean that they were bad drivers. Like, these were the best of the best of his army, right? God intervened, and he made those chariots not go straight. So it was a mess. And that's why they ended up stuck in the Red Sea and drowning. Then we see in Exodus 15, the bitter waters that they couldn't drink. They, they needed water for a lot of people, right? But the, bitter, the water was bitter, so they threw a branch in. And guess what? The waters became sweet, and they were able to drink the waters just like that. In Exodus 16, we see God providing manna and quail. And I may have said this before, but manna is pretty much kringla, right? It's this, this sweet kind of cookie, almost cookie, but it's, you know, that's how I picture manna to be. Um, Really good, except they didn't have to bake it. it. God just provided it for them every morning, and they, he provided, you know, quail, plenty of things to eat. Uh, in Exodus 17, uh, we see water coming out of a rock. Strike a rock, there's water for people, yet again, in the wilderness when they couldn't find water. In Exodus 19, we see God speaking on Mount Sinai, which he does a few different times uh, to Moses. Uh, in Numbers 16, Numbers and Deuteronomy and a little bit of Joshua, those, it's also part of the same Exodus story. Um, in Numbers 16, we see the ground swallowing up some of the enemies that were coming up against God's people. Uh, in Numbers 17, Aaron's staff, you know, it's a piece of wood, starts budding. It starts growing. There's a miracle there. In Numbers 21, we have the bronze snake. And this is that story where, um, as a consequence to some of God's people, um, some of their sin, some of their lack of faith, uh, there's snakes that come into the camp, poisonous snakes, and they bite a bunch of people, right? So Moses commands them to make a bronze snake and put it on a pole, and anybody who looks, who was bitten and then looks at that will be healed. They just look at the snake on a pole, and that's even mentioned in the Gospels as well. It's alluded to. And then we have Joshua 3, where they, again, get to cross a body of water on dry land with the Ark of the Covenant. So, God was there, right? He was present, he was showing his power, and in some very tangible ways. And I think this is why we like this Exodus story so much. There's a lot of excitement that goes along with it. That's um, why many movies have been made based on these things. And another thing that's interesting is that Along the way, uh, and you see this throughout the Old Testament, they, they like to, if something important happened, they might set up an altar and do a sacrifice. And that altar didn't go away. That altar stayed there. And there's other periods we see in the scriptures where they would, they would set up a marker or a monument, something to remind them that God broke through and was faithful in this place. So in our Exodus text today that we read, uh, Moses is having this conversation with God, and God's telling him it's time to move on to the next place. And Moses seems to have this fear that God is on the mountain, that God isn't maybe going to be going where they're going. So 
Moses is in this dialogue with God and starts to recount the promises that God has made to him. And I don't think God needed to be reminded of these promises, but Moses is kind of saying, yes, Lord, I understand that you have said these things. Now, what's going to come? So I'm going to read that Exodus passage for you again. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So then the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. I really like this passage because it shows, it shows that Moses has this worldview that says, I need you, Lord. All of these things that, that Moses has been called into leadership for, he's, he's been timid about a lot of them. He's been insecure. And God has provided what he has needed and the people he has needed through every step of the way. But Moses has this worldview that says, God, I need your presence. If you don't go with us, please don't send us, because it is more important for us to be in your presence. Moses realizes that only God can fulfill these promises, right? Only God can possibly sustain hundreds of thousands of people in the wilderness. He has been doing it. He can do it. But Moses doesn't want anything to do with this if God's presence isn't going with them. And then he says, what else will distinguish us, your people, from others if you are not with us? It will be the powerful moments that you break through. It will be your continued presence reminding us that you are in charge, reminding us that you've got us, your people. A lot of ties into that understanding in our own lives as the church today. So I mentioned these altars and these monuments that, that they would set up along the way. Uh, it reminded me a lot of another group uh, in church history called the Celtic Christians, Celtic Spirituality. And um, there's a whole lot of different definitions, and that's a very broad sort of uh, understanding of a certain time period of Christianity. But there are books today still being written about Celtic spirituality because of their understanding of God's continued presence. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background um, on the Celts. So the Celts were a people group that covered a whole bunch of Europe, right? In 400s, 500s, 600s. We're going quite a ways back here. And more specifically today, we think of the Celts being in that UK region, right? And they were tightly linked to the Roman church. Uh, they, they were Christians, and they set up churches just like Christians did all over the place. And they were monastic, uh, which means they had monasteries, right? They had these places set aside for people to study and learn and devote their lives to studying the scriptures and to teaching, um, one interesting thing about their monasteries is often they didn't have big, large walls like you think of, right? They had short walls. They were like these geographical boundaries, but they were, they were really setting up these monasteries to be available to the people 
that they were serving, not to put up walls between them and the people that they were serving. So they had a little more open and free understanding um, of what they were called to do as a church. They're also sacramental, so they still um, had a high view of the sacraments, just like we do in our church today. They were also contemplative, meaning that they valued stillness, they valued quiet, they valued rhythm that drew you deeper into God's presence, that, that helped you to really contemplate the wonders and the mysteries of God and what he was doing in your life. They had this view that nothing in creation was exclusively outside of God's love and grace. They didn't have this division of sacred and secular like we have today. We say some things are sacred, some things are church-worthy. We say some things are secular, they have nothing to do with God or the church. Um, That's not the way the Celtic Christians thought. And I think they can challenge us with their understanding. For them, everything was sacred. They developed this appreciation and attentiveness to how God's Spirit was working in any and all circumstances, regardless of where they were. So they would, and they would, and, and they, they still do today. There's still strains of this spirituality going. They talk about thin places. And, and a thin place is one of those places or moments or times where they experience the power of God breaking through. Maybe it was a vision. Maybe it was a miracle. Maybe it was just being overcome with God's love and grace. So these thin places are like this place where the veil between heaven and earth just seemed thinner. That's how they got that name. Just seemed thinner, like you were closer to the, to the power and the presence of the Lord. You were closer to eternity, closer to heaven. And when they encountered these thin places in their lives, they would do the same thing the Israelites did. They would set up a monument or reminders. Now, now that could be anything from like an elaborate thing at a monastery, or it could be something as simple as a shepherd who received a vision stacking up some stones out in the field so that whenever he passed that place, he was reminded that God's kingdom and God's power and God's presence broke through in that. It was a reminder of God's power and presence. So there's a lot of similarities there with the Exodus. I think the Celtics probably did a better job of remembering, because it seems in the Exodus story, again and again, they're forgetting God's power. They're forgetting what God has done and living in the frustrations of the moment. But the point is they looked for it in their daily lives. The Celtic Christians looked for it. They looked for God's presence to be tangible. They looked for these thin places. They looked where the Spirit was moving. And they took time to remember what God has done and to live a changed and renewed life in light of God's grace and mercy, in light of those experiences. I think what the Celtic Christians experience and and still do in some communities today is really a lot like what we want to experience as the church. We want to have this always-on attentiveness to what God is doing in us and around us. And that might sound hyper-spiritual or or unattainable. It's unattainable because we're not perfect and we still have sin in our lives. But that's what we're working towards, this always-on attentiveness to what God is doing in us and around us. If God is the most important thing for us, for our lives, for our salvation, then it makes sense that we would spend some time working on that relationship, right? So God's presence is real, and it matters a lot to us, and it matters a lot to his church. And just like Moses realized that God's presence is what set them apart as the people of God, we too should have that same foundational desire. 
we understand that God's presence in us, in the body of Christ, is what sets us apart. Not, not so we can say we're good, we're better than you, but it sets us apart because the world will see the love and the grace of Jesus Christ working in us. The power and the presence of God lavishing love upon us is what sets Christians apart from other faiths and from other um, experiences and other religions. And for us today, it's not just about a thin place, and it's not just about um, seeing these miracles throughout the story of scriptures, but the Holy Spirit, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to be that ongoing power and presence in our lives, right? This is an indwelling then. We don't have to just look externally to see what God is doing around us. We also get to see what God is doing in our very hearts. We as a church have this reality. Do you sense that? Do you sense that we do? Many of you um, might walk in here for Sunday worship and experience a feeling of God's presence. And I hope you can all, I hope you can all testify to that at some point. We as individuals also have this reality, but it's really meant to be played out in the body of Christ as we walk together in community. So how do we remind ourselves then? How, how are we setting up stacks of stones in a field? Um, you could do that in your yard, although your neighbors might ask questions. Um, every time you had a powerful experience uh, with the Lord, you could go outside and set up a stack of stones and label them. And, um, but then people might think you're weird. So how do we remind ourselves like the Israelites and like the Celtic Christians, we do have physical reminders. We're in one, right? We're in a physical reminder of God's continued presence in our lives and in our town and in our culture. Uh, the stained glass, like these aren't just accidental. Each one has some sort of symbol or icon or phrase or word that, that helps remind you of your faith, that helps remind you of the story that God is, has you wrapped up in, um, in his love. And we have crosses, right? Christians have crosses. Uh, that is one of those enduring symbols that reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus paid for our sin and for our salvation. Maybe for you, you can remember, remember specific places you were at. Uh, for me, one of those places is Riverside. Um, the, to me, that's a thin place. Uh, and uh, that's a physical reminder. Every time I go there, there. The place is a reminder, but there are things within the place that are also reminding me of what God has done in my life and in the past. So I encourage you to think about some of those things for your life. What are those reminders? Now, these physical reminders are important, right? But they are not to become idols. Uh, if there's a thin place and you erect a monument and said God did powerful things here, it's really tempting to want to be super protective of the physical reminder that you set up to remind you of God's presence. So, so these things are not to become idols. For the Celts, these markers that they would set up reminded them of God breaking through. It pointed them to God. It didn't, it didn't just, this physical space isn't what absorbed them. It just pointed them to something greater. And for the Israelites, um, these reminders that they set up in these altars were supposed to remind them of God's power and presence. Um, these things were not supposed to become sacred cows to them. But God was their rock. God was their fortress. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one doing these incredible acts in our lives, even working salvation in our hearts. So these physical reminders are supposed to encourage us and spur us on to rise up to the calling that God has given us as his church. 
So what is the challenge for us today? I think there's three, there's three things, and there's always three things, right? I could have picked two, I could have picked four, let's be honest. But there's three things. Um, I, can't, I can't say everything in the time that I'm given. Sorry, I got off track there, didn't I? I, I thought out loud. Okay. Um, so, so how do we better walk in community? I think one of the first things we do is we, we really want to dig into God's story. We want to dig into the scriptures as a community, also as individuals, because you, what you learn as an individual will help the community to grow forward. We remember God's story as accounted in the history of Israel as we go through the book of Exodus here and as revealed in the Gospels, the blessed story of Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection. And then we remember God's story as it plays out in the early church when Christianity was illegal and yet God moved mountains spiritually, physically. So we remember God's story. It's really important to remember God's story and to immerse yourself in the scriptures. Uh, the second thing is, we all have a story too. If you, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, God has done something powerful in your life. There's benefits from that. And you have a story to tell. And telling your story will encourage the greater body of Christ. I'm not saying you have to do it from here, but it's important to do it. And it may even encourage someone to follow Jesus again who walked away, and it may even encourage somebody to follow Jesus for the first time. Our own testimonies of how God's power and presence have been real in our lives make a big, big difference in encouraging and growing the body of Christ. And then as you read in the Old Testament, the Israelites often forget these stories, right? The, the, the struggles, the challenges that they're wrapped up in the moment clouds their memory. It clouds the excitement that they experienced when they crossed the Red Sea or the excitement they experienced when they saw water gushing from a rock. But when the history, in the history of Israel, if you, if you read most of the Old Testament, there's these periods of revival where they dust off the old books, they read God's word aloud, maybe for the first time in a generation or two, and God does wonders in their midst. So we remember God's story. We, we, we grow in telling our own stories, and, and I think we need to take on this expectation like the Celts had that God's power and presence can break through at any place and any time. I don't want us to live lives of if some, part, some personal parts of our lives are off limits from God's love and mercy. We, we like to compartmentalize our lives, right? Like this thing we do here and this thing we do here and this thing we do here. And sometimes we don't want God working over here. Maybe that's for over here. That's not how our lives are supposed to be. I don't want us to live lives as if part of our lives are off limits from God's love and grace. And I don't want us to have the understanding that parts of our culture are off limits from God's love and grace. God's power and presence is just as valuable for another human being in another place or here or down the street as anywhere else. God can lead us as individuals and as a church to be participants in this incredible display of love and grace. We are part of God's power and presence on earth. You understand that? The church, us, the people of God, we are part of the tangible reminder to the rest of the world that God has not left, that God is still fighting for us, that he still loves us, that he still wants to know us deeply. So my encouragement for you today is to trust God in the wilderness of your lives and in the cities, 
trust that God is and will, has, is, and will broken through. Have this expectation that God is doing incredible things in your life and around you, and look for it. And remember that God's power and God's presence is with us, and we are also part of God's power and God's presence as his body filled with the Holy Spirit. To me, that's pretty encouraging. And that's what I want to leave you with today. So let's pray. Lord, we do proclaim that you are with us. Lord, and I hope that, I hope that we understand that, and you can help us to truly understand that on a deeper level what it means that you are with us. And Lord, I pray that our, our pinnacle witness as your body, as part of the power and presence of God on this earth through the Holy Spirit, I pray, I pray people that, that people would experience you through us. That we would, we would be tangibly different because your presence is with us. In this space where we worship, in our homes, uh, where we raise our families, where we um, conduct a whole lot of our lives, and even in our workplaces, Lord. Help us to look for these thin places where you're doing something special and unique. And help us to look back and reflect on your story and in our own stories where you have done those special and unique things that have brought us to the place we are today. Uh, It's all for you, Lord. May we be people of God's presence filled with love, filled with grace, offering the love and the grace that you entrust to us, to the world that desperately needs you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.